Welcome to Beneath Your Beautiful, where guests share stories of adversity and perseverance, which inspire, encourage, and challenge us. We embrace these tough conversations, intimately exploring our loves, fears, and hopes with a delicious combination of depth and lightness. So I am Molly Allen. I am co-host of the Dave Ken and Molly Show on 92.9 CCU. I just celebrated my 25th year there, which is huge. And I'm also co-founder of SafetyNet, an organization that helps kids who age out of the foster care system. And I'm a mom and a grandma. And I have a boyfriend. And that's me. <laughs> that's funny because I Googled you and that's literally what it said. <laughs> <laughs> Do you mind if I ask how old you are? I am 55. Oh, okay. I just turned 56. I thought we were similar age only because I think I saw a picture of you in the 70s and I was like, oh, I feel that. Oh, yeah. Oh, I love the 70s. 70s were a good time. Yeah, I was young enough in the 70s. We didn't do all the real fashion stuff. You know, it was tough skins. And it wasn't until the 80s that I really grew into my fashion. Delicious. <laughs> did you start Safety Net? Safety Net was started because I had adopted my son when he was 10 out of the foster care system. And when he was about 14, I met a man at a radio conference and he, he said, wow, that's, you know, that's really cool. And you know what happens when they age out. And I did not know what happened when they age out. So we had a conversation and he directed me to this movie to watch. And I got thinking about it and I just thought there's no way in four years he would be ready for aging out. And so it was on my mind, um, an organization called Foster Care to College had asked me to be their spokesperson on television. So I was. And then Colleen Quisenberry, my partner, saw me on TV one night on this PSA. And she said to her assistant, I want to meet her because I've been thinking about this kind of thing. Well, Foster Care to College went away, but Aline Alexander, who was very involved, we became friendly with her and she helped us launch Safety Net. And originally, and this is, is it 15? My son will be 29. So yeah, 15 years for that. And we use the Volunteers of America umbrella at first because it's a process for, you know, to get your 501c3. And we launched it and we've been going strong ever since. So that's where it came from. Colleen also had some foster care dealings with youth. So she had a soft spot for it as well. I just interviewed somebody who is 35 and said she was in the foster care system. Oh, really? And said how hard it was when she aged out. So yeah, proving your point, but also she said that they don't set you up in a, an apartment or anything. But either did my parents. A little different, though, because, you know, first of all, how it was explained to me is you think about the foundation of your life being cement, being, you know, and for them, it's basically sand. I see. And so you never know when the bottom's going to fall out. And the thing is, is that when you have a family who is intact and is not abandoning you or choosing drugs over you or whatever, you learn life skills where these kids are constantly fighting for their survival. So they don't learn the life skills that would help them. You know, I was lucky I got to go off to school. And of course, my mom helped me. She had put away money specifically for that, like I am and have for my child and my grandchildren. But they don't have any of that. And then plus, 
you know, it's always you have an aunt who has extra dishes that she'll give you or, you know, so has something, a couch they can give you and they don't have any of that. They've got none of it. So it's a really different experience, I think, for them. I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. My mom did pass away when I was 18, but my uncle did help set me up my mm-hmm. first apartment, he went, took me to Costco or Sam's Club, whatever it was back then yeah. and bought like the stuff. So I totally see that. And I'm glad you said that. Thank you. Yeah. We just celebrated 15 years. We just had a big fundraiser and actually Colleen was the chair. She did a fabulous job. It was a fostering flight. Uh, we were out at the Feltz field and it was, it was wonderful. We had more people than we ever had coming out of COVID. You know, we sort of, we did an online auction in 2020 21, we kind of got some people back. 22, a little bit more. And then 23 was just all out. So really great. So yeah, 15 years. And then we have two warehouses, storage units that we keep things for kids that are gently used things that they've been donated. One in Post Falls, because we're in North Idaho as well. We've helped a lot of kids, a lot of people in and out. That's really wonderful. You have a love of aviation. I do. You know, I was going to set us up down in my aviation den, but I didn't. You have a lot of paraphernalia? Uh, Yes. My entire basement is like a a mid-century airport with TWA (laughs) red and Pan Am blue and airplanes everywhere. And yes, I am an airplane nerd for sure. How did that happen? That's from my Uncle John because I was lucky enough to travel with him a ton when I was a kid. And he would, you know, show me all the airplanes and tell me what they were. And then I would try to memorize them and name them. And it's really commercial aviation. I always loved the romantic getting on an airplane. And even though, even by the time I was flying, you know, you still had meals, you still had meals. And the kids, if you flew alone, unaccompanied, you had special box meals, you know. But I always thought the flight attendants were so glamorous and important. And just the... Just the, how it works. I can't believe my big thing, and I get teased about this, but I don't like when people wear flip-flops on airplanes because I feel <laughs> like it's disrespectful to what's about to happen. You're going to get into a capsule and it's going to hurtle you across the planet at you know a, a speed that is really still incomprehensible. It's uh, incomprehensible. And you're wearing flip-flops for that? I don't get it. Yeah. And by the way, you're right next to somebody else who probably doesn't want to see your feet. So it's not even the flip-flops. It's the metaphor for all of it, that you would have such little regard for what the pilots had to do to learn how to do this, what the people had to do to put this airplane together, what the flight attendants had to do to go through all the people who are working in that airport to get you to Chicago in two and a half hours. And you can't put on a real pair of shoes for that. I got a problem with that. Or you wear your stretchy pants or whatever. And it's like, I know there's comfort, but also can we at least have some sort of you know, I don't know what came first, the aviation industry, cutting corners and doing things. That's the other thing people don't understand. Do you know how much less expensive it is to fly today than it was when I was a kid in 1989? I went to Europe. It was $800. I went to Europe five years ago. It was $500. So we get a good deal. So be nice. (laughs) Do you think because people have to take their shoes off that has inspired flip-flops? Well, I think that people want to be comfortable. I think probably to me, it's a safety issue. It's everything. And it's not really just the flip-flop. It's what flip-flop represents. Casual, don't really care. Having, yeah, whatever. You know what I mean? It just sends the message that this isn't a big deal. And 
I think it is a big deal every time an airplane takes off. But then again, I'm, I'm a nerd. You casually mentioned your Uncle John and yeah. don't go by your mom's last name of Travolta. And so right. why did you choose not to go by Travolta? Well, it's not my name. Okay. My dad's name is my name. So that would have been weird. But also, you know, it was hard enough growing up, everybody knowing that your uncle was famous. Then I felt bad for my cousins who did carry the name because Mm -hmm. the ones on the children of the girls didn't have to, but the children of the boys had to carry that name. And that's a lot. And, you know, the choice in the matter where I always had a choice, whether I wanted somebody to know. And when I would move to a new place, sometimes like I was on the radio, I think four years before anybody knew that John was my uncle. Mm. Because I didn't want them to like me because of it or not like me because of it. You know, I just wanted to have my own path. And it's just easier if you don't. If people find out later, that's fine. And I love him. I'm so proud of him. I'm proud of my whole family. I love my family. I, I never hesitate to talk about them. But I didn't want it to become a, well, we're hiring John Travolta's niece. So Right, right. I understand. I'm 56. So I grew up in Miami. And you could just sit in the theater over and over and over and Mm -hmm. over. And we saw Greece over and over and over. over. Me too. (laughs) Literally, we just watched it over and over and over. Me too. Saturday, my mom would drop us off at the movie theater and we would watch it all day. Yeah. I have an affection for your uncle who I don't know. I like that you're related to him. It's a kind of little exciting one degree of separation there from your childhood. It is. And and I, I, I am good with that because... He's such a sweet person too. And the whole family is. I grew up with just such a wonderful family. You know, when I think about safety net and the things that I do for safety net, I was so lucky. I had such a good upbringing. I had so much support. Man, my brother, I mean, and even my grandchildren now, they would never end up there because of the infrastructure we have, the village that is around them. There's no way they would end up the same whether if a parent died or if something they got in trouble, there would be all these things. And for my son, that wasn't the case. It was just person after person dropping out, dropping out, dropping out till there was no one until he comes to a strange family. And um, how weird that must have been for him. And then to explain to him, like, so he's 10. So he comes now I have to explain. So I'm on the radio. So, you know, people might know. Okay, great. You know, I'm dropping them off. People know. And then uh, they recognize my mom when she comes to baseball games. And then I have to explain who John is and that that's his great uncle. And he has no, because of his age and being in foster care, like he had zero until Bolt came out, you know, then I think it was like, (laughs) oh, he's the Bolt voice. Okay. That's funny. But he didn't see Greece when he was little. So finally he understood it. And then he would come home and he'd be like, mom, I need one of uh, John's autographs. And I'd say, well, why? He said, well, I traded it for some beef jerky today. <laughs> That's <laughs> hysterical. I, I said, you're supposed to get the autograph first. Believe me, I've been doing this my whole life. Trust <laughs> me on the order of things. I said, because sometimes it takes a while to get the autograph. But yeah, but, so then he understood it. But he just was how bizarre for him, like not only. I'm getting adopted by these people and now here's their life and we get to go on private jets and everything like that's weird. Very cool. Good for him. When I was little, I really wished Barbara Streisand was my mother. (laughs) (laughs) So I can imagine being adopted by her and having her her as my mom. Uh, I don't know why that was like 
I just loved her. I, I just think she her. could have been a little bit neurotic. I don't know how fun that would have oh, been. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally, definitely. We were just talking about Barbara Streisand the other night. What an incredible talent she is. Mm-hmm. She's so amazing. But her book is 48 hours long. I always oh, it is. I listen to my books <laughs> instead of reading because I do it when I'm at the gym. And so I'm like, I don't know if I can go 48 hours. I don't know. I hear you. I'm listening to one that's like 28 hours and it's a lot. Yeah. How long have you been with your cute boyfriend, Kat? My firefighter boyfriend, my sweet <laughs> He's so sweet. So let's see. We started dating in August of... 2017 it was right before Jack Bannon died. So sadly, mm-hmm. we he really didn't get to know. I mean, he knew Jack, but so that's how long we've been dating. But we've known each other my whole career in radio because he used to be my boss in radio. So I knew him as a coworker and then as my boss. And then so like I was married, he was then he was married, then he got divorced, then I got divorced, and he got married again, then I got married again. He's back and forth and back and forth. And then all of a sudden, we found ourselves both single and started I hadn't really thought about it before uh but then he asked me out but he's a firefighter now and so he loves this job so much and he's such a good he's such a good positive man he's just kind and wonderful and everybody loves him I love your posts about him I love love <laughs> and yeah. you can see that you guys love each other it's very yeah. sweet it's very nice and it's good to keep my own house because you know you learn lessons about yourself as you get older and you realize that you're not good at being married and you're not good at cohabitating. It's not at this time in my life. I'm not. I like having my own space and I think he likes it too. I know he does. I think at first he thought, oh, well, if we're not doing the natural thing, which is moving forward, getting married or whatever, then maybe it's not working. And now I think he appreciates it like I do. We spend a couple nights a week together and then I've got my grandchildren. And so, right. I mean, I think this about everything, but whatever works for you is fine with me. Yes. Yeah. I finally figured it out. I'm like, I already know I'm bad at that. Why would I do that again? I'm bad at it. (laughs) Proven. That's funny. Yeah. I also am a playwright. I was a playwright in residence at Stage Left for a little while, and that sort of, I moved kind of on from there. Um, So I've had some plays locally produced, and then I have a writing partner named Steve, and we write screenplays. During the pandemic, we met, and we started writing screenplays together. And so it really got us through. It's so funny how you're just intense, 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 and then the world opens a little but you're still kind of, you know, okay, let's get this done. And the world opens a little more. Okay, well, we got to meet and get this done. Then the world completely opens up. It's like, <laughs> I will see you next month. I'm busy. You know, right. well, I'm sure you experienced that. So it was such a nice thing that we had. We could be on Zoom and we didn't even have to be in each other's presence, but we were constantly in contact and writing. It was wonderful. So yeah, I do some writing. And then I'd like to mention my grandchildren because they're adorable and I love them. I have Alexander, who's almost 11, Scarlett, who is seven, and Aurora, who's almost five. And I love them. They're so sweet. Yeah. Oh, that's great. I love being a grandma. It's the best. It's so much easier than parenting. <laughs> it's all the joy without any of the guilt or ego or any of that stuff, right? Yeah. And also we're at an age where... You know, we know shit doesn't matter as much as it did. Yes. Just always works out. I wish when I deal with Alexander and I I feel like I'm really good with him. And I taught school for years too, preschool and stuff. Mm. So 
but I wish I had had the good sense and the patience and the knowledge to handle my son the same way Mm. because I would have been more successful. You know, it would have been a better result for our relationship for everything. And it's hard when you're a parent to do that. I was a single parent for 13 years and I don't know, just making it to the next day, it felt like sometimes. And so my daughter's 24 and she's like, you know, I'm so not sure what I want to do, even though she went to school. And I was like, well, that just totally makes sense because you're only 24. Yeah. So it's weird that at a young age, we have to decide what we want to do with life. And it's weird that we have to parent at such a young age as well, because we would be so much better if we all waited till 40s and 50s. Yeah, so much better later. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And I see that because the people in my life, all of them had their children very young and they're just trying to get by. They have no thought... I mean, I've got the college accounts. They're not even thinking a little bit about that or schoolwork or any. They're just trying to get make ends meet and they're tired and I get it. Yeah. Right. Felt like a tumbleweed myself. My playwriting got me through a divorce and the screenwriting got me through a pandemic. And I have a rule, if it hurts, I'm not writing. And I have some friends who write every day because they are so serious about it. And I appreciate that about them. To me, if I have an idea, I'll write. If I don't, I won't. You know, I just don't want to hurt. It's a hobby. So that's what I was thinking today, actually, about my magazine. I saw a post asking, you know, if you could just do one thing, what would it be? And I've been saying my magazine, but then I thought that's actually not true. And I'm so glad I have so many things. Because I would want to still do photography. I would still want to do design. I would still want to do the podcast. If it's one thing, then it's not fun anymore. Right? Yeah. Well, and I think that's why I always dabble in theater. I mean, I love my job. My job is to get to be an entertainer. Who gets that? How lucky are we? It's a small handful of people that get to do that for a living. For, yeah. Do it for fun. Yes. But to get paid to do it is pretty amazing. And then I like the theater aspect. Like I'm doing my mom's Christmas show right now, which will end here next weekend. But I love doing that. And then I love the safety net stuff. And I love being able to, you know, I love going to the gym. I love, love gambling, love gambling too much. (laughs) So I do like to, I like a little bit of everything in my life. Did I see that this is your mom's last year doing her thing at the resort? And why is that? Do you mind? Well, she's 84. Oh, that's a good reason. (laughs) I think she'll still be involved with something there, but it's something maybe she'll produce, not be as involved. It's sold out. Maybe because of the last one, it sold out every ticket three weeks before we even opened the first show. Wonderful. Yeah. I've been and it's delightful. Maybe that's why. It's a fun show, but I, a lot of new people. It's crazy. A lot of people who say, oh, the can was your last one. This is my first one. Like, well, we've been here for 10 years. <laughs> I did 2017, 18, 19, 21, 22. This is my sixth year of doing it. I enjoy it. My dad had Alzheimer's and now my both my in-laws do Mm. and they're 84 and 86 and so your mom's all with it she's amazing she's more with it than I am that's so wonderful she's up on stage and she's you know we read those letters she's doing a song she's you know and and it was different people coming in and out of the show each week so she had to navigate that too it was just a little different Mm. each week but yeah she's amazing she's great shape and yeah she's good I love that very happy. Yeah. Happy for you. Cause it's nice to have a healthy mom. Yes, it is. And I feel very, very lucky about that. I have lots of friends who do not have the same, they're either gone or they're not in good shape. And so, yeah, I really appreciate it. 
do you have any final like words of wisdom you would want to pass on or what what do you wish you could tell your son now that you know that you didn't know when you were raising him oh the the whole cliche this too will pass or you know um don't sweat the small stuff pick your battles the other day I was all stressed out about money and I looked at my mom and I said you know what because I have rental houses where the kids live and there was a furnace issue. And I said, you know what? I'm going to choose not to stress out about it. There's nothing I can do. It's mm-hmm. either going to be a new furnace or it's going to be a $50 visit. I don't know. And there's nothing I can do. And me stressing about it on top of it happening is a double whammy. So I get to decide just to not, not that I'm going to be irresponsible, ah, whatever, just to not actively let it infect my body. And I, I think that's a big thing. And also just, you know, the younger years are the years that you work hard. I hear I hear the younger people, I don't want to get locked into a job that's not my dream job. Well, <laughs> maybe it's practice for when you do get your dream job. Right. While you're doing that, a lot of other people are paying your bills. So go out. I had three jobs all through my 20s. Always three jobs. Always. I had to. Yeah. And okay. luckily I found a radio job. And I had two jobs when I first started radio. I waited tables at night for the first six months because they couldn't pay me enough. So Hard work is important. I think just not stressing and and then just being nice to each other. You know, just be kind and time flies and <laughs> it's all those things. Our parents told us these things. My mom used to say that this too shall pass and, you know, yeah. whatever, mom, this is the worst thing that ever happened. Yeah. But she's so right. <laughs> yeah. And you're so right. And that's why I'm saying if we could be energetic enough to raise our children when we're 50, that would be great because we're so smart now. It's exactly right. (laughs) We're brilliant. We're geniuses now. So much smarter. Well, we're just so much more relaxed. That's what I think. Yeah. And I I see that you are too. That's good. And I like that you're saying that you can choose whether to be stressed about something. That doesn't mean the thing is not actually happening, but you do make choices about what you think about. Well, it's like when somebody doesn't treat you well or at the end of a relationship and you can't choose how they're going to feel about you. You can only choose how you react to it and how much you're going to let them run you and what you're going to do about it. Because that's all you got is how you react to stuff. You know, eventually you're going to get the short end of something. And it's always kind of shocking when you do. Cause it's like, what? wait, what? what? Well, I've discovered recently that it's a surprise that I see myself one way and others see me sometimes a different way. Yeah. But I'm so nice, I think, but maybe somebody doesn't see that. And it's shocking to me, (laughs) but it's also okay. That's what I have to get to that. It's okay to think however they think. And it's not my job to make them think another way. And as the great late Jack Bannon used to say, if you met your, I'm going to screw it up, but something, if you met yourself, the first thing you'd need was an introduction because how we see ourselves is so different from how others see us. I think for me, it's, they probably see me better than I see myself. I, I'm really hard on myself about my physical appearance, about everything, everything. I second guess I'm, you know, not that I'm insecure. It's not that. It's just that I don't know. And some people say what they think is none of your business too. Cause it's like, well, you just have to live your life. You're not going to be anybody else. Right. I do think the perception thing is interesting when somebody has such a different perception of what you think you are. Yeah, it's hard. You said you have a sibling, you have a brother? I do. I have a brother, yeah. I'm the youngest of six. And oh. boy, do they see me differently than I see me because I'm still the youngest of six to them. But I'm yeah. 
a grown woman. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so it's funny that they sometimes don't see it. Well, sure. And I think that in a sibling thing, my brother was horrible to me as a child. And we laugh about it now because he was very creative. He's really genius, <laughs> really smart and really inventive. But now he loves me. I, I think of all the people, he probably has more respect for me than anybody else. And in, in, I mean, my mom certainly loves me. Uh, but the one, my nemesis as a child is the one who gives me the most respect now. Yeah. I think what's interesting is that he gives me a lot of credit for how I parent, uh, but I only just copied my mom's parenting style. So I think he doesn't give her enough credit for what she taught me. Mm. <laughs> it's interesting. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And I don't, he's never looked at me as a little sister. I've always been the one that kind of helps out and I've always been more responsible. He would admit that too. I've been. Yeah, but I mean, my mom let me be more responsible. She didn't kind of dote the same. It was a little different, different in our family with the boys. <laughs> we had three girls and three boys, so I don't See, know. See, that's how my mom was raised, yeah. This was a really lovely conversation, and yeah. it was so nice to get to know you better. You too. Knowing you on the periphery. My friend Troy Nickerson, his pictures and Jeremy, both those pictures were stunning in your magazine. Just beautiful. Oh, thanks. Somebody recently said something about Troy's photo, and I was like, I just pointed the camera at him because it's all Troy. Yeah, he's pretty good. He's sweet. He's a sweet soul. I really appreciate him. Yeah, me too. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Beneath Your Beautiful, hosted by Hara Allison. And thank you for your ratings and reviews. We'll be back next week with a new episode. Stay tuned. <laughs>